So from now until Christmas, we'll be taking a journey through the book of Ephesians. The main theme in Ephesians is unity. The unity of the individual Christian to Christ and the unity of the church as a whole to Christ and in mission for Christ. As we take this walk through Ephesians, it is my prayer that God would draw us closer to him as individuals, as we see his love, grace, mercy, and promise poured out over us, and closer together as a church body as we continue to see his desire to use us as a church united in his mission to bring about his kingdom. Tim Keller made the comment that Ephesians is doctrinally rich and comprehensive, but a lot shorter than Romans. There's a lot to process in this book. It's, it's deep, it's rich, and I'm, I'm looking forward to going through that, to exploring that with you. Paul doesn't waste any time in, in delivering doctrine, in delivering theological truths, as, as we see the triune God, all three members of the Trinity, at work in our salvation and our lives in the first 14 verses. We see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, each active, each playing a role in the three, prom- in three promises that are made to the Christian. It is these three truths that we are going to focus on this morning. The first is that we have been chosen for adoption by the Father. The second is that we have been redeemed for unity by the Son. And the third is that we have been sealed for inheritance by the Spirit. As we read our passage this morning, let's keep these three promises in mind. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him from the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, God, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. I pray this in your name. 
Amen. So in high school, I had a friend that was, I mean, he's just one of those guys that's just really good at coming up with like business ideas and strategies. He's really good at making money. That's just what he was. He's one of the things he did. And, and he knew instruments very well, particularly uh, a, a certain type of guitar. It was, it was a tailor. If, you're inform- like if, 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 you know music, if you know music, if you know instruments, the tailor guitar, tailor makes a very nice guitar. And so what my friend would do is he would go on eBay and he would find a guitar that, that maybe wasn't priced as well as it should be, maybe didn't look as nice as, as it could have been. The pictures weren't very good. The presentation wasn't very good. And so the price was a lot lower than it should have been, and he would buy it. And then he would, you know, he'd, he'd gloss it up. He'd wax it, and he'd oil it, and, and then he would take pictures in a better light, and he would make it look Better. He, he wouldn't do anything to actually physically improve the guitar. It would still sound the same when he got done with it as when he bought it. But it would look better. It would look a little more desirable. It would look more appealing to the eye. And he would sell it for way more than what he purchased it for. And this is, this is just something he did throughout like high school. And, and it always amazed me because I could never do that. Like I, I, I could never get to the point. I was like, all right, that's something I'm... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that risk. I'm going to do that with this particular instrument. I just, I just didn't have it. But it just fascinated me that he could buy an instrument online he'd never seen before. Just, you know, take a picture in a bit of a better light. Gloss it up a little bit. Just make it look a little more appealing. And that would increase its value in the eyes of the beholder. That would increase its value in people that were looking for a guitar, even though nothing structurally, nothing sound-wise had changed, it increased its value to the buyer. Presentation, how something looks. In 2001, Diane Granito founded the Heart Gallery, and it's a unique program that, that uses photography to help find homes for older foster children, sibling groups, and other children who are traditionally Difficult to place with families. So the typical like, like foster child shot, particularly at, at this point in time, it, it almost looked more like a mug shot. The, kind of, the child was just kind of standing there. He wasn't necessarily smiling. It was just, let's just get a picture of him and let's just put it up so that they know like, what this kid looks like for, for potential people that will be adopting this particular child. Let's just, let's just get a picture up there and, 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 and then we'll go from there and hopefully, you know, someone will pluck on the heartstrings or something. And, and this lady is saying, no, let's, let's, let's take good pictures of these kids. Let's take pictures of these kids at play. Let's take pictures of these kids smiling. Let's take pictures of kids happy, joyful. And since its inception, the Santa Fe Project, this, this heart gallery, has inspired 120 more heart galleries across the United States. And in some places, the adoption rate at the exhibit is more than double the nationwide rate of adoption from foster care. When looking for adoptive families for older foster children, there's a constant struggle with perception that most foster children have serious emotional and behavioral problems. And though this perception is not always accurate, it is not easy to find homes for older foster kids because of it. Framing the kids in a better light, showing the fun and positive side of children, putting out a positive perception 
through pictures, through photographs, has helped change the trends for many older foster kids longing to find their forever home. Presentation, perception is is very important to us. What something looks like, how, how something appears, has a big impact on our perception of it. That's how we work, you know, that's how we function as humans. First impressions, presentation, all of it works to influence our decisions and our preferences. Does God work that way? The first truth that we are going to be looking at this morning comes from verses 4 to 6. Starting in verse 4, we read, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. We have been chosen for adoption by the Father. God has chosen each of us for adoption. Think about that for a minute. You have been chosen by God. Chosen by God. As I rest in that reality, as I contemplate God choosing me, wanting me for his own, selecting me to be his child, to live in his house. A little boy, a little beggar, being given an undeserved blessing. It doesn't take long for my mind to go to the other little boys and girls, the other beggars still out on the street. If God chose me, and that's why I'm eating at his table, having his mercy and grace poured out over me, then what about those who aren't here in the family of God? What about those that are still out begging on the street, to continue the metaphor? What about my friends and family who do not believe, who have not been given the gift of faith? How can a God who is all-loving not choose everyone? I mean, this is God we're talking about, right? Sovereign God, all-powerful God. Does he play favorites? I mean, come on. If, If he truly is a God of love and truly has the power and is the one doing the choosing, why hasn't he just chosen everyone for adoption? Why isn't he brought everyone under his roof? Why isn't he feeding everyone at his table? Why are there still beggars in the streets? Why are people that I care about deeply, love deeply, not Christians? Doesn't doesn't God love them? These are deep and, and complex questions. Theologians have argued over these questions and their conclusions for generations, and so we're not going to be able to examine them to their fullest extent this morning. But that doesn't mean that we won't take a little bit of a look, however. Since the discussion is raised in our verses this morning, we're going to dip our toes in the pool, even if uh, just, just a little. So in the Lutheran Brethren, and here at Calvary, we have a very high view of Scripture 
We do not believe that the things the Bible say are subject to the changing of times, the nuances of culture, or the desires of men and women. We believe that the Bible speaks accurately to all times, all cultures, and all people, and that it cannot be changed or edited to fit our personal convictions. The Bible is what shapes our convictions. It is the final authoritative guide for faith and for how we should live. In short, we believe that the Bible is truth. Truth. So because the Bible is truth, all of it, not just the parts that we want to be true, but all of it are true. And if all of it, then we must read Ephesians 1, 4-6 through the lens of the rest of Scripture. For since the Bible is true, then John 3, 16 is true. Where we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Not this chunk, or that chunk, or these people, or those people. The world. For God so loved everyone. He sent his son. Those who would believe, those who will not believe. All the world. And since the Bible is true, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, what what Katie read for us this morning must also be true. We begin, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who in verse 4. Who desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we have what appears to be a conflict in scripture. We read that God loves everyone. That he desires everyone to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And also that God chooses His people, his believers, his followers, and yet we look out on a world that is full of people who do not believe. How can this be? How can all of these statements be true? How can a God who is sovereign, in control of all things, all-powerful and all-loving, not get his way? How can that happen? Again, the Bible is true, and again, these questions have been asked, and this discussion has been had for generations. We aren't going to crack the egg, right? We're not going to come to some big breakthrough this morning. However, for the sake of exploring this passage, let me ask a few questions. Is it possible that God desires to be loved? Is it possible that God created mankind to be in relationship with him? Created men and women, not as mindless pawns, but as creatures that have the ability to reject him? Is it possible that God, in his desire to be loved by his creation, set aside his sovereign power, his control over all things in this area, so that his relationship with man might be genuine. I believe that it is. And Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God, given to us by God, supports this belief, encourages this belief. And so we rest in the tensions of things 
that we don't quite understand, like how an all, a God that is all-powerful, who chooses his, his people, who loves all people, can possibly allow those that he loves to reject his call on their lives. We rest in that tension because that is a tension that Scripture brings us to. And we know that Scripture is truth. And so we rest in that. We can't add things to it. We can't make Scripture say something that it doesn't. There's a temptation, there's a desire there because the the tensions are awkward and they're weird and we don't really get why they exist. It doesn't really make sense, right? Like, why doesn't this all just add up? Why isn't this just like Legos where they just fit real nice and everything comes together and then we get the full picture and everything's just wonderful? Like, why, why isn't it that way? And that's a great question for God when we get up to heaven and meet him someday. Because scripture makes it clear that that's just not the way that everything is. We can't add to scripture to fit our logical desires for things to make sense. We rest in the tension. It's a good place to be. It's a wonderful place to be. But enough of focusing on the doctrine of election, which is what that is, God choosing or not choosing. For as Frank Frank Thielman put in his commentary on Ephesians, Paul's focus is not on the logic of election, but on its occurrence and the need to praise God because his choice of a people for himself is a clear demonstration of his grace. Paul isn't writing this passage to give us a logic problem to solve about God's choosing and how he chooses or why he chooses or any of that. His focus is on the truth that God has chosen and the need to praise God for his choosing us is such a testament to a clear demonstration of his grace, his love. God has chosen you. Why? Why would God choose us? It's not because you're better than anyone else. It's not because of the moral life that we've lived. It's not because of the immoral life, you know, and that you've lived and the proof of his power and grace that your testimony is. It's not because you framed your picture better than your unbelieving neighbor did, bringing out your strengths and how fun and real you are, and so raising your likelihood of being adopted, of catching the eye of God. Again, it's not about what we have done, but about what God has done. As we read in verse 4 of our passage this morning, even as he chose us in him, from before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. We weren't around to influence the choice. Paul writes that God chose us before the beginning of the world. Man, what a relief. (laughs) What a blessing. What a joy for us. God's favor poured out on us had nothing to do with us. He loved us and chose us before he created the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the plants, the animals. Before he created the world, he chose you. How does that make you feel? 
Because, man, I tell you, that blows me away. Before he set the foundations of the earth, God chose us. The Father chose you. That is the first truth Paul laid on us in our text this morning. The second is that we have been redeemed for unity by the Son. We have been chosen by the Father and redeemed by the Son. What does it mean to be redeemed? God's choosing us does not make us acceptable to be in relationship with Him. God's desire to be in relationship with us does not make us sinless, perfect people. God chose us in spite of our sin. He desires to have a relationship with us even though we do things that hurt Him, even though we disappoint Him, even though we sin against Him. But that sin, that price, it had to be paid. It could not be overlooked. It could not be ignored. Though God chose us, created us, our sin needed to be dealt with. We needed to be redeemed, and we are redeemed by the Son. There's a story of a, of a little boy. He, uh, he found a piece of wood, and he carved himself a little wooden boat, and he fixed a sail to it. And he would take that boat out down by the lake, and he'd put it in the water, and he'd, he'd play with this boat. He loved it. Carved it out of wood himself, made with his own hands, and he, he'd put it in the water. And, you know, and then one day, a big wind came up, and it blew the boat way out into the water, and it was too deep, too far for him to go and get it. And the wind kept blowing until the boat was out of sight. He could no longer see where this boat went. He loved that boat, and every day he would, he would walk around the, the, the beaches of this lake, hoping to find his boat washed up on shore. For months he looked for that boat, and he never found it. And then one day he went into the little town nearby, And there in the window of one of the stores was his boat. His beautiful little hand-carved boat. And And he went in and he talked to the store owner and he says, Can I have my boat? That's my boat. I made it. I would like to have my boat back. And the storekeeper said, No, I bought that off a fisherman. That's my boat now. Fisherman found it and he brought it in. And I said, That boat looks fantastic. I need to sell that. I think I think that'll sell. So I've got it in the window. Little boy wasn't able to get his boat back, so he went out and he mowed lawns, he raked leaves, shoveled snow, and he earned some money. And he went back and he paid that store man, that clerk, for that boat. And as he as he took that boat home, he said, "You are now twice mine, for I made you and I bought you." I made you, and I bought you. Redemption is payment of a price or ransom. Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid the price, paid the ransom. The cost was Christ's own blood, and the object was our souls. All of humanity was in the slave market of sin, sitting As the lost boat in the window, powerless to save ourselves, powerless to unite ourselves with the Father. But Christ has purchased his church. So as verse 10 says, he might unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He is uniting us. 
bringing us together in him. We are united in this gift, this blessing, this price that has been paid, and we are his. As the little boy said, we are twice his, for he has made us, and he has bought us. Not because of what we have done, but because we are his. He loves us, and he has chosen us. Which brings us to the third truth, the third act of the Trinity in the life of the Christian that Paul examines in our text this morning, is that we are sealed for inheritance by the Spirit. The word seal references being marked, being claimed. Judgment is coming. One day there will be a reckoning between God and man, but the seal of the Spirit, the mark of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit protects God's children from His wrath. They are set apart. And just as the seal of the Spirit marks God's people for future redemption, So the down payment, the guarantee of the Spirit that we read in verse 14 is a sign that God's promise of redemption is reliable. He will not back off of it. The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, Paul writes. God in the Spirit has marked us as His own. And we can trust in him. We can trust in the promises that God has made. He has invested in us. Through the Spirit, He has made a down payment. We didn't make that payment. We simply received it in our own baptism, in our coming to faith, in the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And though we may choose to walk away from it, choose to reject it, God does not reject us. For our God has chosen us from before the time he laid the foundation of the earth. He has redeemed us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he has sealed us in the spirit, marked us as his own, protecting us against the coming wrath. And promised us an inheritance in heaven, in glory. And this is all part of God's plan to unite us in Christ. This passage is true for us, no matter what our life circumstances might be. Whether we have money or we're living paycheck to paycheck, no matter the color of our skin or our cultural background, the interests and hobbies that we have do not disqualify us. The talents that we have been given and the jobs that we pursue do not give us an advantage over our brothers and sisters in the eyes of the Lord. We are all needy. We are all helpless, we are all sinful, and yet through faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for us, we are chosen. We are redeemed, and we are sealed, united in Christ, that we might be used in his mission to bring about his kingdom. What an amazing, wonderful, powerful, gracious, and merciful God we serve. Amen.